Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey guys, ready or not, 2024 is here and we here at Breaking Points are already thinking of ways we can up our game for this critical election. We rely on our premium subs to expand coverage, upgrade the studio, add staff, give you guys the best independent coverage that is possible. If you like what we're all about, it just means the absolute world to have your support. But enough with that, let's get to the show. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. I don't usually get to say that. It's great to see you again, Happy Ryan. Wednesday. My friend, everybody likes the fist bump. And uh, <laughs> we've got a resident hall monitor here, Emily Jashinsky. I'm actually taking over their show. Uh, so here, there she is, Emily, joining us live from the state of California. Got up early for all of us. Thank you all so much. Uh, Crystal, unfortunately, not able to join us. One of her kids is sick. But we're going to have a little bit of breaking reaction to all of the uh, election results last night in the state of New Hampshire. I'm also also going to stick around. We'll edit this, you know, so that it's perfectly in the show. We're going to talk about uh, Barbie. Uh, did Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie get snubbed or not? It's going to be a fun uh, conversation. Sandra has thoughts. Yeah, I've got thought. I got a lot of thoughts. I've been brooding about so this. So uh, many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. Before we get to the fun, before we get to the fun, we got to eat your vegetables too. We're going to get to the election season, and we've got a discount going on right now. Let's go ahead and put that up there on the screen. We've got 25% off of our yearly membership at breakingpoints.com. You can support all of us. Our crew worked overnight, made sure that everything was available. Look at that fancy little graphic there uh, the state of New Hampshire and the faces of the candidates. Uh, that's what you guys are helping support. But more importantly, it's stuff like this it's the breaking shows, it's the focus groups, and so many more election plans that we have and some other expansion things that you should stay tuned for, including some of the people who are at this desk. But before we tease far too much of our plans, let's actually break down what the hell happened in New Hampshire. I brought everybody the news last night that President or former President Donald Trump did win the New Hampshire primary. We now know exactly how much he won. And he gave a victory speech last night, very much framing this as a general election victory. Let's take a listen to what he said. Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now, three. three. We win it every time. We win the primary, we win the generals, we've won it, and it's a very, very special place to me. 
But she ran up when it was seven. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up, and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. And, you know, last, last week, we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around. I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. And then I looked at the polls. She was talking about most winnability, who's going to win. And I had one put up. I don't know if you see it, but I have one put up. We've won almost every single poll in the last three months against crooked Joe Biden. Almost every poll. And she doesn't win those polls. And she doesn't win those. This is not your typical victory speech, but let's not have somebody take a victory when she had a very bad night. The other thing, she only got 25% of the Republican votes. All right, so that's going to be a very common talking point there. Uh, Nikki Haley, we can now say, uh, did win about by, but uh, did lose, I apologize, I guess a win maybe in her book, we can discuss, uh, by about 11 points last night, Donald Trump getting some 54% of the total vote. Now, before we get to everybody's thoughts, Nikki did, and we want to preview this because this really does set up the conversation. She really did give a speech as if she had won. I'm, we're really, he's not joking and neither are we. Uh, immediately, almost after the polls closed, some 8.30 p.m., that she appeared on the stage. She pledged that she was going to keep going. We have some of that video. Let's take a listen. We're all going to react on the other side. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it, and I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. Woo! New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. <laughs> this race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. sweet state of South Carolina. With Donald Trump, Republicans have lost almost every competitive election. We lost the Senate. We lost the House. We lost the White House. We lost in 2018. We lost in 2020. And we lost in 2022. The worst kept secret in politics is how badly the Democrats want to run against Donald Trump. Yes. All right, very enthusiastic crowd. I can say that for the uh, Nikki Haley uh, people who were there in attendance. So guys, Emily, let me go first to you and get your initial reaction. If you want, we can put the results up there on the screen and you can react to some of the things that we saw there. There we go, 54% for Trump, 43% for Nikki Haley, and 0.7 for Ron DeSantis. Interesting for whoever those people were. What do you make of last night? Uh, yes, just when everyone thought they had a bro show, I am here to play hall monitor, but I will also add that Nikki Haley has spent an obscene amount of money. So let's just, for a moment, pause. 
and recognized that she outspent everyone in Iowa. She also now outspent everyone in New Hampshire. I have the information right in front of me. This is from CNN. They say, according to ad impact data, Haley's campaign in support of outside groups have spent more than $31 million on advertising in New Hampshire just since the start of 2023. Now, so far in 2024, they wrote, Haley's campaign and its allies have spent about $12.3 million in advertising uh, compared with about $9.8 million for Trump and his allies. So just take that and put it back up with the fact that she lost by 11 points. She lost by double digits in Iowa. She lost by double digits in New Hampshire. And she is now saying that there's still some path to, to put up that much money lose by double digits, that there's some path that she has to the nomination. She does not have a path to the nomination. The media enjoys a competitive storyline, and Nikki Haley is going to continue to get money. She can ride this out as much as she wanted, as much as she wants, because people will continue to give her money, at least for the next month or so. She is down, and you heard her there just say her sweet state of South Carolina. Guess what the polling, the RCP averages? It's Trump at 52, Nikki Haley at 21, 52 to 21. So not even all the money in the world uh, can get Republican voters to like Nikki Haley. Uh, so to the extent that Nikki Haley continues to be a factor in this election, it is because the media and uh, her wealthy donors continue to sponsor her. It is not because the Republican voters, mm-hmm. we're not talking about the general electorate, it is not because the GOP voters have any interest in Nikki Haley. Ryan, what's your reaction? Well, one quick little kind of fact check point on Trump. You, you notice at the very beginning, he said, we've always won the primaries, true. We also win the generals. He did this funny pause where I think you could see his wheels turning where he's uh-huh. like, oh, wait, I actually haven't won the general Yeah, he did win the general election. <laughs> New I'm glad you pointed that out. And, I was going to. And then he's like, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what's the difference? I'm just going to go. But Emily's point is great because you know, you can look at this and say, oh, well, she only lost by 10, 10, 10 plus points or so. Uh, but when you consider the fact that she so massively outspent him and her, you know, her supporters so massively outspent him, it raises the question of how on earth you can sustain yeah. that. Because if she doesn't outspend at that scale, you know, she loses by maybe 20 or 25 points. Mm-hmm. And a, a kind of narrow-ish loss it just looks like a complete blowout. This race is over. Uh, it, it, I don't, I, I, does she have something where she wants to be humiliated in South Carolina or is she going to drop out before that? It seems to be the only question left. I, I, I really have no idea. And I mean, look, for people who are saying, you know, maybe you guys are being unfair, you know, she did, she didn't lose by 20, she only lost by 11. Here's what people need to remember, okay? In New Hampshire, Democrats and undecided voters could actually vote in the GOP primary as long as they, mm-hmm. what, change their registration like a couple of days before. If you want a perfect example of this, guys, here's two clips from both, from mainstream media outlets, where you have literal Democrats and Biden voters who decided to cross over and support Nikki Haley. So even in an open primary system where Democrats could enter and where Democrats could try and make sure that she you know, had some chance against Donald Trump, she still lost by 11 points. When it was a closed system, like the GOP primary in Iowa, she got absolutely obliterated and blown out. So we got two separate clips that we can show people. Let's take a listen. Nikki Haley. And why did you vote for Nikki Haley? Uh, it's a vote against Trump. Uh, I think it would be better to have her against Biden in the... Uh, elections and it would be Trump and her. Do you consider yourself generally independent, Republican or Democrat? Uh, Democrat. So when you undeclared, you voted for Nikki Haley. If it was Nikki Haley against Joe Biden in a general election, who are you voting for? Joe Biden. Christian, who did you vote for and why? 
Yeah, so thank you. I voted for Nikki Haley, and it was certainly a strategic vote. Um, I think the DNC is fairly resolute in their nomination for Joe Biden. Uh, and while I wouldn't vote for her in a general election, particularly on our differences with uh, climate change solution, a woman's right to bodily autonomy or uh, incarceration rates, I think a vote for Nikki Haley is, helps diminish Trump's influence in the RNC and their nomination, but is also a vote towards democracy. I watched that one live and I was like, I couldn't even believe it. It's like you have a 90, some 19 year old Dartmouth freshman who's literally a Democrat. And he's like, I would not vote for her in the general election. There's no way. But, you know, I came out to vote. Just also, to if you're sure. going to brag about your strategic vote, Yes. You don't admit it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's it, listen, not it's all right strategy. so naked. I mean, and that's the thing, Emily, for me. And, and all of this bears out in the exit polls. Let's go and uh, put the first one up here on the screen. We can just look very, very clearly about what's happening. So, for example, do you think that Joe Biden legitimately won the election? This was in the state of New Hampshire. Yes, 49%. No, 49%. The reason that that yes number is so much higher in New Hampshire is now obvious. It's because he had huge independent and or Democratic crossover over that came in. And now, are you part of the MAGA movement? 32% said yes, 64% said no. Huge difference from the state of Iowa. But what stuck out to me, Emily, is that Trump still won, is that even amongst people, if you say Joe Biden legitimately won the election, even if with two thirds of the people who say, I'm not part of the MAGA movement, the guy still got 54%. Of the vote. I mean, these are all just basically the way I was looking at it is that, yeah, Nikki Haley ran up massive numbers in all of these college educated places. She won the most liberal place in the state of New Hampshire, Hanover, where Dartmouth College is, maybe thanks to that 19 year old. <laughs> he put her over the edge. But the whole point is that she was not able to even come close in any of the rural, the suburban areas. And as we continue to go through the exits, I mean, the divide on this is just absolutely massive. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I bet that 19-year-old is a Ryan Grimm fan. That's my guess. I, I, he, he I don't know inside knowledge. Yeah, I'm sure it tracks. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yes. And when people yesterday were looking at those exit polls as the numbers were rolling in before we had uh, you know, actual voting tabulation saying this looks really good for Nikki, I was thinking, actually, this looks really similar to what we saw in Iowa. When you look at the breakdown of people who thought the election um, was stolen, whatever mm -hmm. it is, um, even people who said no to that turned out for Donald Trump in Iowa. Again, Donald Trump won the educated counties. He won urban. He won, he won uh, high income. Now, the margins were different. We talked about that last week, and it was really interesting. But here's where Nikki Haley, these are CNN's exit polls. Uh, she, this, is, this is super telling. She won 70% of the registered undeclared voters, according to the exit polls. She won only 27% of registered Republican voters. Mm -hmm. So 70% of those undeclared that you can register, as Sagar was saying, as an undeclared voter. Um, and that's a really, really big deal, obviously, because it goes to show uh, that among the sort of normal GOP primary voter, uh, this is a state where people were putting lots of money in. They were pumping these ideas about coming in and voting for people, even if you're you know, not a Republican voter. Um, she was really, really banking on that. And even with those millions and millions of dollars, it wasn't enough to get her within single digits because Donald Trump is popular with Republican voters and the media doesn't want to accept it. Uh, donors don't want to accept it. But Donald Trump is popular with Republican voters. And that's that. Yeah, I mean, it, look, this again and again and again, every exit poll that we assembled here, we just want to 
beat this into people's heads because it's very useful for not just thinking about the GOP primary, but also in the future. And I don't want to put Trump off the hook. There's actually a lot of trouble for him in some of these numbers. So let's, for example, let's put this up there on the screen. Now you've got, do you think that Biden legitimately won the election? Amongst Trump voters, 17% said yes. No is 80%. That actually tracks with overall GOP polling. But look at the Haley number. Do you think that Biden legitimately won in 2020? Amongst Haley voters, 83% said yes. And no was 15%. The flag to me there is like, okay, well, you know, when you're going to compete in a general election and most people, you know, was some 60 so last time I checked, uh, say that Biden did legitimately win and you're losing an 83 to 15 split. Obviously, it's not going to be that high, Ryan, whenever it does come to the general election. But if you're trailing that hard in a, you know, in a category that's that important, you can see a 2022 stop the steal style revulsion really keep people away from Trump. That's the only flag yeah. I want to put in there right yes, now. Yes. And Nikki yeah. Haley in her speech last night was not wrong. Yeah. It's just that Republican voters don't, yeah, they don't care. Don't, don't it's the wrong it. audience. She's correct. Right. right. 2018. Right. Blue wave. 2020. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden. 2022. They expected that they would do much better than they eventually did. And Trump kind of, it was, it, Democrats successfully made 2022 a referendum on Trump. Uh, he also lost by 3 million votes in 2016. So every time he's been on the ballot, Democrats have, have beaten him, mm-hmm. except for because the Electoral College, he won in 2016. But yeah, to your point, Republican voters do genuinely understand that. A lot of them think, well, it's rigged. Uh, but even if they don't think it's rigged, they don't care. They, this is the guy that they want to ride into battle. Yeah. and then, Well, like, I also have a point on ahead, that, Sagar. Go ahead, Emily, please. So, yeah. So actually, one other interesting point that Trump made uh, is that he's, you know, beating Joe Biden in all these polls. Well, this was a huge thing for Nikki Haley because there was polling that found her with yeah. the best margins against Biden. And that was something that you were taking to the donor class and saying, look at this, look at this. Uh, but again, Republican voters, to all of the points that you guys just made, he, Donald Trump was wrong when he said that, you know, he's the one that does the best against Joe Biden. That's, that's not, there aren't a lot of polls that would put him ahead of DeSantis and Nikki Haley, although that's all going to change now, but just in the past month or so, uh, that was not true. So again, Republican voters, though, to the point that everyone just made, um, they are not on board with saying it's it's what we want to have a Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar sort of huddle, pick a Nikki Haley candidate that Republican voters are rejecting that model. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see this in the ideology numbers, too. We can put that up there just to give people an idea. And, you know, another thing to keep in mind is that there was massive turnout last night. Donald Trump won more New Hampshire votes than any other person in the history of the New Hampshire primary, Democrat or Republican. They beat the turnout numbers by 50,000 from 2016, just to show you the amount of energy. And yet, in the composition of that electorate last night, 49% were registered Republicans, 47% were registered undeclared. Amongst the ideology, same thing. It's very, very different in Iowa. You've got very conservative for 24%, somewhat conservative 39, moderate 31. It was four, you know 9% of that was moderate in the state of Iowa. Again, just showing why Nikki Haley did overperform here. But when you're overperforming amongst literal Democrats and people who are not Republicans, that's a very difficult problem for whenever it comes to the general election. And then the final exit poll, this is one where, you know, I could spend all day on this thing. Let's put this up there because this is this is it. Like this is the um, this is American politics in a nutshell. New Hampshire exit polls. Never college, Trump 54%. Some college, Trump 
25%. Bachelor's degree, Haley plus 13. Advanced degree, Haley plus 26. So Nikki Haley doing well amongst college-educated voters and amongst people who've got advanced degrees. But to echo what Crystal said last night, that's not really a winning category whenever it comes to Republican politics. By the way, it's not a winning category for Democrats either. You can just ask Elizabeth Warren how that worked out for her back in the 2020 primary. And that is the whole ballgame. But the issue is that, look, for Republicans, and now let's put on our general election hat because, you know, basically, sure, we can twist in the wind for the next month if we want to. That's fine. We can all pretend. Uh, Let's see what happens. And look, I'll give the other side of this. A month is a long-ass time in American politics. Like, who the hell knows what what could happen? There's all kinds of black swan events. That's what basically what Nikki Haley's hoping for. You were going to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to jump in quickly to say, then we go to the national polls. So if we look at the RCP average, because you have South Carolina, then you have Nevada. Trump is very popular in Nevada. And then on Super Tuesday, you have a lot of delegates, something like 1,200 delegates up for grabs. And that's going to look a lot more like the national polling. And so Nikki Haley spending a lot of money and still losing by double digits in a tiny state with a really friendly, probably the most friendly Republican electorate because you can have the undeclared people come Mm -hmm. in and vote for her. This is over because in those national polls, she is down so much more. (laughs) Donald Trump is over 50% in those polls. He's around 60 plus percent in national polls. And so when you look at those people with advanced degrees, master's degrees coming in and saying Nikki Haley is a viable candidate for the next month, even though there are black swan events, anything could happen. There's a possibility that Trump goes to jail. Uh, so I get yeah. it. But even if that happens, even if that happens, the, the wealthy college educated people are now going to spend a month and millions of dollars trying to push this candidate on Republican voters that they have rejected by double digits in two early states, even one that's very friendly to her, even where she's outspent everybody else. And now they're going to keep trying to push them on Republican voters. The media is going to help them do it. It's just an absurd circus. Yeah, it is certainly. And like we said, look, this is we've got a month until the South Carolina primary. It's actually, you know, pretty decent amount of time. And then that's when things really kick off, Ryan. So we've got South Carolina, then we have Super Tuesday yep. at Florida. And that's like really when the total bow will be tied. I'm curious, you know, if you guys think, do you think she'll drop before South Carolina? Like maybe the day before or something like that, if the polling position, if the, you know, the Black Swan event or whatever doesn't happen. Ryan, you first and then I, You, you yeah. could certainly imagine that yeah. happening because who wants to lose by 40 in your home state? Right. It's just exactly. brutal. It's it's horrible. Right. But yes, you know, if you stick around for three, four weeks and something happens, uh, then she's kind of the front runner, mm-hmm. uh, fe- you know, fending off everybody who jumps back in. But, you know, absent that, like, why would you want to get waxed in your own home state? Exactly. Emily, what do you think? You think she'll drop out uh, before uh, South Carolina or you think she'll stay in and then, you know, get she'll lose there and then she'll drop out that night? It just seems so brutal because what her most, by the way, have you guys watched the evolution of her talking point? She's like, I've never lost an election that I'm in. And now, last night I picked up on this. It was, I've never lost an election in South Carolina. <laughs> So now I'm like, I don't know. That's a pretty good talking point. I'm not sure I would want to let that one go uh, if I were her. But, you know, the ego can do a lot of things to people's to people's minds. What do you think? We should get a clip of that. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm of two minds about this uh, because I actually think right now there's a lot of cash to be won. And I, I say cash, not C-A-S-H, but C-A-C-H-E mm-hmm. because when you stay in and become the single issue, never Trump candidate, uh, you can do it like that. That'll make her a hero 
with the people, same people who put her on the Boeing board. And that seems to be, to me, what she cares about, the sort of Tea Party era chameleon who then became Trump's UN ambassador, was super Trumpy, is now back to being never Trumpy. Uh, you can just win a lot of, you know, kind of accolades from the uh, donor class and the media by staying in and being the single issue, never Trump bulwark, uh, to, to use the phrase bulwark. I, I, and so I'm of two minds. Does, does she do that all the way to the bitter end um, and, and be that person that the media goes to for the anti-Trump talking points, be that person who can then be the sort of champion of the never Trump world going forward. I don't know. Um, but I think there's something to what Ryan said I, and what you said, Sagar, I, I agree. I, I mean, I, th I have a hard time seeing somebody put in, putting themselves through that level of humiliation at the same time. Um, yeah. If you're doing it for the, the virtuous cause, then uh, maybe that's the audience she really cares about now. Exactly, exactly right. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Okay, let's move on to the Democrats. Uh, let's take a little bit of a look at the results from last night. Let's go and put this up there on the screen and let's see what were the actual results, folks. Okay, so Joe Biden, it appears, won 51.5% of the vote. We've got Dean Phillips at 19.8. The key thing here is unprocessed write-ins. Some of those, Ryan, I think are gonna go to Biden. Some could go to the ceasefire. Then you've got other write-ins. I'm not really sure what that even means. They didn't uh, seem to tabulate it. Marianne Williamson coming in at 4.7%. So I can go ahead and give the mea culpa. I was definitely wrong about Dean. I thought he was gonna overperform. I thought his name being on the ballot would come out to 30. But you know what, guys? I mean, you know, a lot of these voters, and I saw some various interviews on you know, MSNBC or CNN. I was, I was like switching through just to see what exactly 
exactly some of the live conversations with these Democrats were. In general, Ryan, a lot of them were people who were just normal Democrats, and they're like, "Hey, you know, I just came out. Uh, I like to vote. They're yeah. like, we take we take this yeah, really seriously yeah, it's New Hampshire. in New Hampshire. You know, it's like it, I teach. One of them was a teacher. They're like, I teach my kids about civic responsibility, and they were like, Oh, cool. So why did you come out to vote? And she's like, oh, you know, I just like Biden. I came in right Biden. And it's just no big deal. It's like 7 yeah. p.m. or whatever. And I was like, Hey, you know, that's actually a very sweet thing. It's very clear that New yeah. Hampshire uh, to them." It, it, Overwhelmingly, the interviews that I saw on TV, but also Twitter, Michael Tracy, for example, these people take this shit seriously. Oh, yes. I mean, they really take it seriously, like coming out to actually vote. I mean, how else in a you know uncompetitive, virt- basically primary on both sides? You have record turnout by fifty thousand some votes in the GOP primary. Decent amount of votes that were cast, you know, in the Democratic primary. So, give us your uh, you know Democratic primary take from and, New Hampshire. Last right, year. and and so so far, and the, the New York Times breaks down right. the the write-ins as six thousand at this point, six thousand. 608 other write-ins. Yes. And I would think almost all of those are ceasefire. Okay. Except when will we know that? Do you know? In the next day. Like okay. today, we should know today or tomorrow. Okay. All right. Which I had, you know, the organizers in the campaign were talking hundreds or maybe low thousands. Mm-hmm. So if if they ended up over 6,000, that's a pretty significant I mean, kind of viral. I mean, Marianne Williamson. Factor. That's will, pretty crazy. It will. Yeah. It looks like they're going to beat Marianne Williamson, who only right. had 5,000 votes and just under uh, 5%. Right. Then there's unprocessed write-ins, which uh-huh. they describe as just ones that haven't been counted yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of those are probably just based on the numbers. If he got 50% of what's been already been counted, you can imagine he's going to get at least 50% of, of these remaining unprocessed write-ins. That's, but you could be looking at, uh, you know, 10% of the electorate voting for ceasefire to, if, this, if, if this pans out the way it looks like it possibly could, which is far and away more than people thought was way more. like remotely way more. Possible, but we'll we'll see because yeah. we're just looking at a, a black box. Ryan will be point. with me uh, on the main show tomorrow, and we'll talk about that just to see if when we get the final number. Emily, what's your uh, overall take? You know, for the Democratic primary, I mean, it wasn't all that unexpected per se, but you know, Biden did a lot better than I thought he would. You know, I, I think Crystal had him at sixty. It looks like he'll come in around fifty-one, but we're not he might quite end sure. Up at 60 he actually, might actually with the end right up ends. at sixty. So she seems to be like dead on the money. In that case, the polls you know mostly correct and overwhelming victory for him, even though he literally wasn't on the. State. So his write-in campaign seems to have worked. You know, the voter suppression and all of that the weird campaign <laughs> that we covered yesterday, all that seems to be okay. Uh, and Dean, you know, only cracking 20%. But I mean, I guess you could look at it two ways. 20% is also not nothing. That's one-fifth of the people who did come out to vote. He definitely had the advantage of having his name on the ballot, but he only launched his campaign a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, he's not dropping out of the race yet. Uh, so we'll see. Before I play his reaction, what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's true because uh, when you're running in New Hampshire, you lay the groundwork there for months and months and months. You know, Ron DeSantis on the ground ground in Iowa, he put all of his eggs in the Iowa basket. He was there for, you know, better part of a year. Um, and, and when you're doing that, typically, and you want to win a primary, you spend tons of time there, you spend tons of money there, but it's it's over months and months, not just over the short period. That said, um, I was a little surprised that his number was that low. I would have probably put it up five, ten points higher, um, mm. just in my, my guess, uh, because there was uh, just New Hampshire voters, I, I think, really were given the middle finger by the DNC. And I expected some of that anger to be taken out uh, by protest votes for Dean Phillips. Yeah, you have you have more respect for Democratic voters than they have for themselves. That's true. Yeah, they're like, please stomp <laughs> on me, stomp <laughs> on me, please smack me again. Um, there's Anymore. another word for that. I won't get into it. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and play uh, Dean Phillips, and let's see what he had to say about the results last night. 
congratulations to President Biden, who won absolutely won tonight, but by no means in a way that a strong incumbent president should, but I respect him, he won. I wanna congratulate <clears throat> former President Trump for winning tonight as well. But, but Nikki Haley just said she's been here working for a year. Well, we've been at this for 10 weeks, my friends. We decided two weeks before the October 27 deadline to come up to Concord, bring a $1,000 check. I was 35 years old or older, and I was born in the U.S., so we became a presidential candidate. We, and we just earned 20% tonight, and no one knew who you were 10 weeks ago. Nobody. I know the exhausted majority of this country, center-right and center-left Americans, I know they'd much rather see a Nikki Haley-Dean Phillips matchup this November, and we're going to try to get that done. All right. I mean, we're going to get that done. We'll see. I guess. Like he's yeah. Same thing. He Now he's got to go to South Carolina. Uh, anybody want to tell me how a, a young white guy fared in South Carolina last time, Ryan? Uh, you know, a, a very similar political ideology to uh, Mr. Phillips versus Joe Biden. How, how did that work out? I mean, I, I listen, I think he'll probably lose even bigger than Buttigieg did in that state. And, 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 and Buttigieg, my, the favorite story yeah. that I wrote of the entire cycle oh, was- I remember this. Do you remember well. the fake- yes. Absolutely. He, he just lied about yeah. uh, having some black support. Like, uh, and I called them up and they're like, for the Frederick Douglass plan, I don't endorse this and I don't endorse, endorse Pete Buttigieg. Yes. What is going on? It's like, well, you're, yeah. how did my name get on there? Uh, so maybe that's Dean's path in, in South Carolina. Just you know, put some people's names down without, without asking them. Uh, but Pete Buttigieg told yeah. you he had a black friend and Ryan was like, uh, I'm yeah. calling called, him. Ryan was called like, are you sure about that? Called that yeah, 100% yeah. sure about He's that. Like, yeah, not, not friends. Uh, unfortunately, he by the way, we don't have school. any... There's been no, uh, Marianne has not, as far as we could find, our team was not able to find any of the video or rally or anything from last night. But we did try, just for anybody um, who it's, is wondering. The, the, yeah. the extreme blackout of the primary on Democratic mm -hmm. kind of aligned media, MSNBC and New York Times, I think contributed to this. There was a moment last night on, on MSNBC where uh, Rachel Maddow was kind of announcing the results. And she says, and she reads out the totals. And for Ms. Williams, she reads her total. Yeah, that's that, right. She's like, that's Marianne. Right. Her name's Marianne. And she literally didn't know her name. And yeah. Ms. And Mr. Phillips, yeah. his name is Dean. And she then congratulated right. herself for like getting getting their names right. This is like deeply smug. Like yeah. it looked like an act. Like you you know Marianne yeah, exactly. Williamson's name. She's best selling author for Good decades. Point. Like. Come on. Every, great, great everybody point. in Western Massachusetts loves Marion Williams. Also, am I the only one who thought Maddow looked like a Bond villain? Can I can I say that? Did, did you guys <laughs> note that it was like an all-black turtleneck thing with a black? It was an interesting look. But that, Is well, this I, where I, I come in as hall monitor? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and call you a misogynist? Is that yeah. misogynist? That's not, no, listen, not at she's all. No, the one she always looks like, like a Bond look, villain. Not me. Yeah. Most, bond, most Bond villains are men anyway. Right? Yeah, 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 true. Yeah, there you go. I'm giving her a compliment. She'd be I a great she, Bond villain. She would be a good Bond villain. In many ways, a villain here in the U.S. All right, so let's... Okay, wrap up our, our thoughts here for the primary. I mean, look, we knew it was going to be over. Uh, it, any chance, I think, for Dean and all of them basically evaporated last night. Andrew Yang, who's been a major Dean Phillips uh, backer, he basically, I guess both him and Phillips, they intimated they're not dropping out. Andrew Yang's like, we're continuing this because I don't want to watch uh, Joe Biden's concession speech. But at the end of the day, I mean, this thing just looks locked in. I mean, you know, in general, that's why I was trying to bring in some general election polling in our previous uh, block about Repub the Republican results because it just it seems foolish to even pretend now at this point. So what res what can we maybe gleam from this primary for the overall general election? Tr uh, Biden clearly in a strong position with the Democratic base. 
um, at least whenever it comes to votes. Even It doesn't necessarily match up with some of the polling that says a lot of people are disgusted with him, with his age, they're very disgruntled. Many of them are still willing to, you know, even in the Haley case, for example, if we sub her out for Biden, I think the majority of the people who came out to vote for Nikki Haley last night did so because his, her name was not Trump. Very, very similar, Emily, to the dynamic of Joe Biden in the 2020 election. And it seems that force could not just be more potent, not just as potent as 2020, it'd actually be more potent. So Biden may not be in as weak position, you know, as we might have thought a year or so ago. What do you think? Oh, that's an interesting point. I actually hadn't thought about that. I mm-hmm. think there's probably truth there. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, when we're looking at general election from from primaries. I don't know. I, I never know what to draw from it just because, to your point, one of the reasons I think Dean Phillips um, and, and probably Nikki Haley, too, I think this maybe applies to both of them, wants to stay in the race, um, is that in the Black Swan event with something unpredicted with Biden's health, or I shouldn't say unpredicted because a lot of people have made predictions about Joe Biden's health, mm-hmm. but if something happens to Joe Biden, you sort of have an heir apparent if, as these states go on, Dean Phillips is able to rack up, you know, significant chunks of the vote. And I think 20% uh, in New Hampshire, I mean, to your point, like it's not nothing. And so if he keeps showing that uh, he's someone that can, you know, get some support, then maybe he's in a position if something happens to Biden. I don't know. That's my guess as to why he stays in. That's one of the reasons I think Nikki Haley would want to stay in. Uh, But, you know, it's just like, I have no idea what's going to happen between now and next November. Uh, in terms of the economy, in terms of what we're about to talk about next, which is Israel, Ukraine, uh, all of that. So it's just really hard because I think it's going to be a close election either way. Exactly. Yeah, no, look, I I don't think there's a slam dunk on either case. I still put it at 50-50. I I wouldn't even give the edge to either of them. I think that's too high for both of them, frankly. (laughs) I think that's, uh, but I mean, that's that's kind of how a lot of, that's kind of how a lot of people feel. That's how a lot of people feel about the election. But even though it's very common, everyone says, and including me, I'm like, this is the election nobody wants. But listen, if they succeed in dragging these two people to the ballot, most of us will come out to the polls and have to vote for one of them or for RFK if he's managed to get himself on there as well, Ryan. And as I think New Hampshire and the de- de- the Democratic primary and all that can prove, you can be dissatisfied with somebody. You can not even like somebody. Many people will come out to vote for party loyalty. Yeah, <laughs> the idea that the election that everybody wants is Dean Phillips against yeah. Nikki Haley is yeah, kind of funny. But but also I think what, <laughs> what that is actually e- expressing is this kind of aspiration that people are not as angry as they are and that mm-hmm. the world is much calmer and chiller mm-hmm. than it actually is. Because that's a world in which you could imagine a Dean Phillips versus a, a Nikki Haley, where it's really hard to tell what they even necessarily disagree about. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but <laughs> that's not the public that we have. That's not the world we have. And that's not the world that has been kind of, you know, deliberately engineered by the people who are now frustrated that they, we don't have that peaceful Very world. true. Okay, uh, I'm going to drop off now. And uh, you, the people who are watching this sequentially will see me in the Oscars block. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The IDF killed at least 120 Palestinians overnight in Gaza as attacks there continued. That's according to the Gaza Ministry of Health. Now, Plus 972, an Israeli news organization, is reporting, interestingly, Emily, that the Israeli intelligence is now using the Gaza Ministry of Health numbers in its own assessments. Early on in the conflict, uh, they apparently, according to 972, uh, surveilled the Gaza Ministry of Health, which the BBC and others still refer to as quote unquote Hamas run, to try to figure out whether or not the, those casualty figures being produced uh, were accurate or not. They determined that they are accurate. And so now even Israeli intelligence is now using Ministry of, uh, of Health numbers. Now, all of this is coming as there has been uh, reports of a, of a two-month ceasefire offered by Israel and rejected by Hamas. Uh, John Kirby was asked about this yesterday. Let's play a little bit of sound from that. Report that the Israelis have presented a, a new cease, a ceasefire, a temporary uh, ceasefire for a hostage deal, um, a two-month pause to release all the hostages and the advice of, 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 of civilians and soldiers. Um, can you confirm that? Is the U.S. engaged as Brett's in the region right now? Is he trying to actively sort of drum, drum up support for, for that framework of a, of a deal? Yeah, I'm not able to confirm those specific reports uh, that you're uh, that you're talking about in the press. Um, Brett is in the region. Uh, he was in Cairo today, as a matter of fact, and he'll have other stops along the way. Certainly, one of the things he's in the region talking about is the potential for another hostage deal, which would require a humanitarian pause of some length uh, to, to get that done. And that's definitely on the agenda. He'll also be talking about a range of other issues, including humanitarian assistance, including um, getting assessment of uh, Israeli Defense Force operations and the protection of civilian life. I mean, there's a lot on his agenda. But I can't confirm these report reports that those are the parameters of a deal that's being discussed. The last thing I'll leave you with is that, the, the, as I've said before, the discussions are sober and serious. Uh, again, I don't want to get ahead of where we are or, or give you, uh, I can't give you odds on, on, on if and when we'll be able to get there, but the conversations are very sober and serious about trying to get another hostage deal in place. Uh, now, Emily, uh, Israel has not uh, publicly confirmed that they made this offer, though the reporting is, you know, strongly suggests that they did. Hamas has not publicly confirmed that they rejected the offer, uh, though the public reporting suggests uh, that they did. W what do you make of uh, both the offer and also then the, the rejection? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the Biden administration strategy is here, uh, and I, I just just don't have confidence in the Biden administration's strategy at all. I was actually curious, Ryan, what you made of how John Kirby handled that question, because he, when he said, oh, I can't confirm that those are the parameters of the deal, it sounded like he was saying those are the parameters of the deal. Mm -hmm. What did you think about that? 
Yes, and the, the way that he finished it off by saying that the, that the talks are sober and serious around you know upcoming hostage uh, re- release negotiations does suggest that that these that these talks are in a pretty ad- advanced stage. I think one thing that is un- underlying all of these talks is how poorly uh, the war is going uh, for Israel in particular. And we can, you know, put up this next element here, which is the, the biggest example that we've seen. We covered this on the on the show yesterday. Uh, three IDF soldiers uh, were killed in separate clashes, but 21 uh, IDF. Uh, soldiers were killed in a in a single incident, uh, and and I want to talk about that incident real real briefly before we get into some of the other um, elements in this block. We now understand that th- so this happened on the kind of the eastern end of of the Gaza Strip, only about 600 meters uh, from a, a, kibbit, a kibbutz that has been evacuated. The Israeli government has said that the reason that they were doing a controlled demolition in this area is so that residents of the Gaza envelope and particularly that, that nearby kibbutz could eventually return. They're tr- in other words, they're trying to you know, destroy the civilian infrastructure to create a buffer zone. Now, a no buffer zone has been a line uh, for the Biden White House. I don't wanna say red line uh, because they don't seem to kind of enforce any of their lines, but they have very publicly said that there can, that there can be no Gaza Strip territory that is, you know, currently Palestinian territory that is turned over, that is lost um, to the Israeli government. Uh, Separately, the Geneva Conventions, and and one of the elements of the Geneva Conventions that Israel itself has ratified, says you cannot kind of destroy civilian infrastructure in order to seize uh, territory, which which this very specifically would be doing. So this, this incident, uh, which has become a massive scandal inside Israel, we now understand was being performed in furtherance of what is objectively understood to be a war crime. So we have also, don't, don't we have some uh, further elements, Ryan, that get to this point just so that people can see yeah, uh, can, let's talk, what let's, you're talking about here? Sure, and let, let's talk about some of the other kind of uh, things that have been emerging that continue to turn people against this war. This. Uh, the attacks continue on Khan Yunus, which apparently is something like 500,000 plus people are now huddled in Khan Yunus, one of the you know, second largest city in, in Gaza, but a place uh, that Israel told people to flee uh, for safety. Let's play this clip here. In the yard of Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunus, Gazans bury their dead on Monday as Israeli warplanes drone overhead. They're unable to reach the cemeteries. Israeli tanks storming the main city in Gaza's south have reached the gate of this and another hospital. In the bloodiest fighting of the year so far, Abdul Karim Ahmed says he went through this at the Ashifa complex in Gaza City a few months ago, where he also buried loved ones. We're besieged from all sides. We're reliving the same scenario again and burying them in the yard of the NASA hospital. There is no safe place, no way out. Inside, the wounded, desperate and stricken crowd the wards and corridors. This is the only major medical complex accessible in Khan Yunus and the largest still functioning in Gaza. Rabia Salem's injured family waited until morning for an ambulance. My mother was alive and told me, don't worry, go grab the others. But she's gone now, he says. Another war crime allegation that has been breaking through, if we just run through this uh, as well, into the Western press, 
uh, has been the IDF desecration of cemeteries throughout Gaza. Uh, the, the, the Times of Israel here reporting IDF said to heavily damage 16 Gaza cemeteries during military operations. There's been a lot of reporting in the Israeli press on this, uh, but CNN too uh, witnessed this. Uh, you know, as it, it's the, the only way, except for that uh, kind of one CNN reporter who was able to get to uh, a, a UAE-run kind of field hospital. Uh, has 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 been through kind of embedding with the IDF, and so you you would expect that uh, you're not going to get a whole lot of uh, reporting about Israeli war crimes when you're embedding you know directly with uh, the IDF. However, listen to what CNN uh, saw as they were rolling through with Israeli forces. CNN witnessed firsthand the results of Israel's bulldozing of graveyards while embedded with Israeli forces last week. The armored personnel carrier CNN was traveling in drove right through this cemetery in Al Burej on a freshly bulldozed dirt road. So we have you know, 120 minimum Palestinian civilians killed. We have uh, the desecration of these uh, cemeteries punching through into the, into the Western press. Uh, we have the, the 21 IDF soldiers killed while trying to create a buffer zone, which the United States has very explicitly said uh, we do not approve approve of. And my sense is that one of the reasons that uh, there was this re rejection of this initial offer uh, is, is that Hamas must feel that the war is not going very well for the IDF. What's your read on it? Yeah, I have exactly the same read on it. And that's why I thought it was helpful to put all of those things yeah. uh, or to, for, for everyone to see those things together. Um, because it, when you think about that, I, I have read uh, or heard that, you know, a lot of those 21 IDF soldiers who were killed were reservists. They have families, just a, a, an awful thing. And uh, so that question of, from the perspective of Israel, is everything that we are doing in this war, uh, if they're thinking about it like that, is everything that they're doing uh, making Israelis safer now and in the long term? Is this justice? Is this making us safer. And when you look at all of that, it reminds me a lot of what we were talking about with the Houthis last week, Ryan. The, the Houthis saying, you basically, we're enjoying this, you know, bring it on, uh, yeah, escalate the war for all we care. Uh, we, we wouldn't mind if you escalated the war. Um, it, it, it's like, it, that's not being factored, factored into, at least publicly, it doesn't seem, that's the, that that's being factored into the Israeli decision-making, the strategy, because it's like they're prosecuting a war where they expect Hamas at some point what to be the word they, they use as annihilated. Well, Hamas, you can't annihilate Hamas like a traditional army. Um, and, and listen, like I'm armchair quarterbacking this from the United States and you know Israel knows that, but the strategy doesn't reflect it. It doesn't seem to reflect it because if your goal in all of these uh, you know, bulldozing of cemeteries and, you know, Hamas does embed itself within civilian infrastructure, but of course, Gaza is, is tiny and densely populated and, and all of that. But if your goal is to annihilate Hamas, and this keeps, these uh, examples uh, keep happening, it's going to get a lot harder, I think, to, to continue selling this war, not just on the international stage, um, but even at home as your own soldiers are, are dying, uh, the further that it gets from October 7th and the sort of um, sense that this was a, a just response 
um, that's going to make us safer now and in the future. I think that gets a, a that case gets a lot, lot, lot harder to make. Uh, the more you see Hamas sort of responding like the Houthis have, uh, you've seen yeah. like the the leader of Hamas abro- abroad say to the extent he's he said something to the extent of like this is going great for us. Like this is uh, you know since October seventh, uh, we've realized that we can get away with a lot. Uh, they're not a traditional military, uh, so it's it's not the same thing. And. I, I just don't understand. I guess I understand, but I don't uh, think it's going to be easy to sell this in the future. Right. And on the one hand, it's awfully cynical of, to me of Hamas leadership uh, to, to refuse pauses because of the you know, extent of the, the suffering that the, pop, that the civilian population is going through. But at the same time, right. just as there seems to be no coherent strategy coming from Israel at this moment, there seems region-wide to be no coherent strategy uh, coming from the United States. There are reports now that the U.S. believes that there will be so much pressure uh, on shipping as a result of both the Houthi attacks and the U.S. response, that it will raise shipping costs for China, and then China mm-hmm. will then exert its influence on Tehran, which will then exert its influence on the Houthis, and will get the Houthis to stop uh, firing missiles at at ships. Which is, you know, most strat- most global strategies you talk to are like that. That's absurd. Like a, a China can't do that. B China isn't going to do that because. China is is quite fine with us creating this gigantic morass uh, for ourselves. Separately, as even Voice of America, which is the kind of U.S. military-run news outlet, reported, the Houthis have been very clear that they will allow uh, Russian ships and Chinese ships and, and, and any other ships that are not associated uh, with the, the U.S. or military effort, U, U.S. or Israeli effort in Gaza. They're letting those uh, pass. They're letting those pass, uh, and so. The idea that you're going to get China to jump in and and bail mm-hmm. us out of of our own airstrikes in Yemen. And by the way, uh, we we launched airstrikes yesterday uh, on Somalia, claimed self defense there. Uh, more airstrikes on Yemen. We also launched airstrikes at the uh, Iraq Syria border, uh, and and our own bombs were fall, falling in Gaza. So if if we creeped across that border. You know that's that's five countries that we bombed in a, in a single day, which has got to be, which has got to be approaching a record, and it's leading to actual pushback in the United States Senate. And yesterday there was a letter. We can put up uh, this this next element here uh, from a bipartisan group of senators. It's uh, Mike Mike Lee and Todd Young, the Republicans, and Chris Murphy and Tim Kaine, who are considered to be you know very serious Democrats. These are these are not this is not the peacenik wing of the Democratic Party, and they write. We believe that American participation in another war in the Middle East cannot happen in the absence of authorization by Congress. Unless there is a need to repel a sudden attack, the Constitution requires that the United States not engage in military action absent a favorable vote of Congress. Does your administration believe there is legal rationale for a president to unilaterally direct U.S. military action to defend ships of foreign nations? Uh, So, Emily, uh, Todd Young and Mike Lee, um, how much pull do they have in uh, in Republican quarters? Could we see kind of a a genuine bipartisan coalition coming together and pushing back here? I think we'll see a genuine bipartisan coalition, but I don't think it will matter uh, because 
if you look at Senate leadership, they are, they have absolutely, these are not people who care about these extremely serious questions about war powers. And this is the, this coalition and everything that you just read that they said is absolutely accurate. It's absurd that we are so numb to how these wars are prosecuted at this point. Uh, and Mike Lee and Todd Young are heavy hitters. They actually are, you know, well-respected, well-liked, serious conservatives. You know, they're not McConnell lackeys, but they're also, you know, not, uh, they're not considered, you know, like media celebrities or anything like that. Uh, to the, they're not like on Fox News every day. That's all I'm trying to say. Um, they are serious people, and uh, this—that's the—that's what's really sad about this. It, it doesn't matter uh, because, as you know, Ryan, you've been covering this way longer than I have. The blob always wins in these conversations about war powers. So I'm glad to see a bipartisan coalition. Um, and I'm glad to see that it's not just sort of relegated to the fringes. Um, you know, Matt Gates, for example, speaking of the fringes, like Matt Gates has actually been very good on this, uh, even in relation to Somalia, uh, going back a long time. Um, and so to have someone like Mike Lee and Todd Young making this case in the upper chamber is important and it's great. Uh, I am just so thoroughly cynical uh, about this making much of a difference going forward. Right. And, and speaking of some of these atrocities breaking through in the West, wanted to close this segment with uh, in, incredible reporting from I-24, an independent uh, news outlet in uh, in the UK, which is kind of set up 70 years ago or so as sort of a competitor uh, to BBC. They had an I-24 camera fan uh, in Gaza uh, who carries out a bunch of interviews and let's 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 roll this and I can I can narrate this for some of the people uh, you know who aren't who aren't able to watch oh I, I, correction I will not be narrating this uh, because this is this is a sot so let's roll this from I uh, from this news clip from I24 as he moved forwards towards the combat zone he noticed this group of men doing their utmost to appear non-threatening trying to proceed with care they wanted to reach two other family members and get them out of harm's way. The interview complete, our cameraman walked away. And then this happened. The interviewee had been shot and fatally wounded. You can see them place their flag on his chest. As he was carried away, the white flag was turning red. And so... It's pretty self-explanatory if you could hear the narrator, but you see a, gr a group of men who are waving a uh, white flag, trying to get from one one part of uh, the area to another to to help to escort out some of their other family members uh, to safety. And then, uh, out of nowhere, kind of uh, shots ring out, and and one of the men uh, who was just being interviewed uh, appears to almost die instantly. Uh, and as, as they're carrying him away, in this, in this indelible image. Uh, they they place the white flag as something of a bandage on his chest, and you can see the the blood soaking through the white uh, the white flag. His his wife is not far away from him, and she soon after this clip, and she realizes you know what has what has happened to her husband, who was just trying to 
uh, you know, go go help some family members. Uh, she, uh, you know, you know, uh, collapses into uh, uh, unimaginable grief. And while this while that's happening, shots continue to ring out, and you see all these children around these men who are kind of looking uh, left and right, trying to trying to find somewhere where they can go to hide. But it's not exactly clear, you know, where where they're getting shot from, uh, and where they can where they can where they can go and all all the while they're trying to find some way that they could get this uh this man who's just been shot uh help uh this comes of course just a few weeks after uh the idf shot and killed three is escaped israeli hostages who were waving a white flag and so there doesn't seem to have been uh, following that incident any reflection whatsoever on how to respond to unarmed civilians who are wearing uh, white flags. The fact that this aired in a Western country in the in the UK, Emily, do you think that this type of incident has the potential to break through, or are the camps just so dug in at this point that that defenders of Israel are going to continue to see catastrophes like this as a, the equivalent of you know victims of an earthquake or a hurricane? Can't really tell who's responsible. And that was ITV, not I twenty four, right? Oh yeah, did I did I say I twenty four? Sorry, that, yes. yeah, I, I, yeah, ITV is British, right? Yes. yes. Okay, so yeah, I-24, no, and I mean, yeah. obviously, ITV. Sorry, the, thank you. Yeah, no, the, <laughs> um, it's yes, and so again, that's where um, I do think these these images are powerful in the Western press, and I actually think again, like I saw, a, I was watching a, a podcast interview that the foreign leader of Hamas, who's sort of media facing, um, people have probably seen uh, some of his interviews that he's done, is talking, um, I think just in the last couple of days about how they've been somewhat, uh, what's the right word, surprised to see the reaction or the lack of support, um, the support for Palestinians in the West, the lack of support for Israel in the West, and that that's a good thing for Hamas, and that it's you can see it sort of empowers Hamas. And to that point, I'm not trying to say that that doesn't mean people should support Palestine. What I am saying uh, is that what he's talking about is uh, how people are reacting, I think, exactly to clips like that. And it does. Uh, it, the, the one thing he's right about there is that does make that difficult for Israel. And, and listen, like I don't want Hamas to be in charge of Gaza. Uh, I want to see Hamas annihilated. The idea, though, that Hamas is going to be annihilated um, if you just do operations like this enough, uh, where you have people with white flags or you have uh, where people with white flags get caught up um, or you have uh, civilian infrastructure uh, because Hamas has uh, some hundreds of miles now through reporting, we know hundreds of miles of tunnel. Uh, you're not going to annihilate Hamas. And then what next? Say that's we've talked about this, right? And say that is accomplished. Uh, if you annihilate Hamas, What's going to come into that vacuum that is better than Hamas? If not, you know, the United States, who's providing essential support in this war, believes in a two-state solution. Netanyahu and the people that Netanyahu is answering to in his coalition do not believe in a two-state solution. So actually, none of this makes sense um, to for the future. Like the, the strategy, the more these clips are played in the midst of the strategy, I think the more difficult it does get for Israel. And that's the bottom line. Like, I actually think some of these uh, soldiers are, you know, I don't want to minimize the difficulty of uh, their situation. Um, and, and I don't know, uh, but this looks horrific. I mean, it, look, it looks horrific and likely is horrific. 
Uh, and, and so I, I think the longer this goes on uh, without a really clear strategy, I think it actually also will get more difficult uh, to continue selling to the Israeli public as a whole, um, because even you know far right people, uh, and I say that you know they would obviously want an escalation in the war, but even some of the people on the far right in Israel aren't happy uh, with what the end goal seems to be. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Emily, you've got some updates on the uh, border situation and the border negotiations, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the Supreme Court ruled uh, temporarily, by the way, that's an important part of this. Uh, they ruled temporarily to allow the federal government to remove razor wire on the border wall that Texas, the government of Texas, put there. Um, and the government of Texas argued that, uh, I'm sorry, the federal government argued that the wire illegally prevented them from managing the border. And we talked last week, Ryan, about uh, the situation with uh, migrants uh, who had drowned. Um, and there was a big back and forth about the razor wire. There was a big back and forth about how Texas is stepping in uh, to what they see as a power vacuum on the border, the federal government sort of uh, allowing mass uh, asylum claims to be made, uh, no remain in Mexico and people crossing the Rio Grande or uh, you know, crossing in, in various ways. Uh, and Texas wants to sort of step into the power vacuum, but it's created, I think, really legitimate problems. I think Texas even has to concede that these are really legitimate problems. So it's a 5-4 ruling, Amy Coney Barrett, and John Roberts uh, are, part, are part of the five. Uh, and again, this is temporary. It's while this is still being considered in the fifth uh, circuit. So there will be more decisions on this, but the Supreme Court stepped in and said, uh, temporarily, the federal government can cut this razor wire, essentially. Uh, Tucker Carlson, we have some reaction from him. Uh, this is what Tucker tweeted. He said, so it's unanimous. Everyone in power from the White House to the hedge fund managers to the Supreme Court of the United States has decided to destroy the country by allowing it to be invaded. That leaves the population to defend itself. Where are the men of Texas? Why aren't they protecting their state and the nation? Uh, Chip Roy, uh, obviously a big Freedom Caucus guy, he called on 
Texas officials to just completely ignore the ruling. Uh, he said, quote, they have a duty on the con under the Constitution and every other norm of leadership of any sovereign state to protect your citizens, period, full stop. There is no exception to that. And if the Supreme Court wants to ignore that truth, uh, which a slim majority did, Texas still had the duty, Texas leaders still have the duty to defend their people. Now, let's put this Politico headline up on the screen. This comes as a bipartisan border deal is being considered. And Chris Murphy signaled to Politico uh, that the talks were, quote, largely done. What we know from that is uh, you have Chris Murphy, uh, Lankford, Cinema, some of these very you know, leadership, uh, center right, center left, uh, people in the Senate coming together and trying to get uh, a border package uh, done. And what we know is that they've talked about capping daily entries. They've talked about uh, restricting asylum. And they've also talked about restricting parole, which according to Politico uh, is one of the hot items is like, what are the presidential parole authorities that's being debated? Chris Murphy says they've kind of come together on that question, but we have absolutely no idea what this, um, you know, it reminds me of what we talked about with Sam Cadol today last week, Ryan, um, uh, the, the lobbying. Uh, we had we did a segment about how the uh, wealthiest caucuses um, mm -hmm. and the, the, yeah the, the the wealthiest districts are the ones that are part of the you know like bipartisan caucuses and uh, the people who you know stress cooperation and all of that and get wonderful media treatment. We actually have no idea what these centrists, Kristen Cinema, Langford, uh, Chris Murphy, we have no idea what they're doing. So all of this could mean so many different things. And if it's just spending more uh, to have more fun little drones on the border, that's not gonna do a lot. If there are serious changes to asylum policy, uh, maybe that would do more. We have no idea at this point, And I don't think I have any trust in them that they're going to do something significant because neither side wants to do something significant. And what's going to happen, and it has been happening, um, Ryan, I'll just recall this really brief story. Because of how Byzantine this bureaucracy at the border is, human lives are getting caught up in it. And uh, the, the way that this has been kicked to the courts because Congress is too afraid to act, uh, because the president has taken authorities that I think are, are questionable. Uh, I'm not talking about the cutting the razor wire. I think actually there's a legitimate dispute of constitutional powers there. And I understand what Chip Roy is saying because Texas citizens actually are really in the crosshairs of this. Uh, so it makes sense. At the same time, Texas is has a federal border. Uh, so there's there's a very substantive and, and interesting kind of constitutional conversation happening on that level. But um, this is just briefly, I've told you about this, Ryan, when Title 42 was being kicked back and forth in the courts. It was such a sad and awful situation. Um, and I actually made a border trip when that was happening. You kind of talked to people who were caught up in that. And I talked to a kid uh, whose name was Osniel. He's from Cuba. He had come up through Venezuela or up through uh, Panama, Darien Gap, done the whole thing, paid some stupid amount of money uh, for someone from Cuba, like $11,000. He crossed. Uh, because he thought Cubans were uh, still being let in uh, because of where Title 42 was in the courts, uh, he got sent back uh, because it was the day that that had changed. Um, and then he tried to cross again because Title 42 was changing at this point in time, day to day. Um, he got sent back again. 
there's so much confusion and cartels are preying on the confusion. Um, and that's, I think, the real sad thing about what's happening uh, in, the, in the court system right now. Ryan, I've just talked way too long. Uh, what did you make of this decision from Monday? Uh, I, I don't, so the Supreme Court is saying that Texas is overstepping its, uh, its authority here, but it's kind of not weighing in all the way. Uh, Congress hasn't touched this you know, for decades at, at this point. I'm curious how serious you think these negotiations are, because while the White House seems to have a significant amount of incentive to kind of go against its base and go against what it has you know, said its values are on immigration for a very long time and cut a deal for political reasons in the, in the midst of a presidential campaign. On the flip side, it feels like Republicans don't have any incentive at all, uh, what politically at least, um, to, to reach a deal. And so maybe you, maybe some senators, you know, can come together with some, uh, Democratic senators, but over on the house side, it, it, and, and from Trump himself, it feels like letting Biden have a win on the border is something that they don't have any intention of doing. Uh, you're hearing a lot of rhetoric from House Republicans saying, unless it's our full 100% of our bill, HR2, we're not doing anything and we're gonna wait until uh, we're in power, which reminds me of how Democrats have always said that they're gonna do all of these things. One day when they're in power, they're gonna, they're gonna <laughs> codify Roe v. Wade, they're gonna, they're gonna you, know, uh, you know, all of these promises that they've made for decades, eventually they're gonna do it. So just support, Republic, support Democrats now and then, don't, don't fight us on these issues. And then eventually when we get enough power, then we will do the things we're, we're promising. What's your sense of how serious uh, we should take uh, House Republicans when it, when it comes to the ability to reach a deal with Biden on the border? Yeah, you're exactly right. And it actually reminds me a lot of repeal and replace, right? There you just go. Vote yeah, us just, in. We will yeah, repeal just vote and us replace. in and we'll do it. Yeah. Yes, we'll do it 50 times when they have no power, but zero times um, when and they can actually do it. And again, like actually from a political perspective, I completely understand uh, the Freedom Caucus block and not just the anti-McCarthy block, but like the, the entire Freedom Caucus holding fast to H.R. 2 because H.R. 2 is a bill that 10 years ago, I think would have been non-controversial uh, because given the, the level of problems that there is, that exist. And the New York Times had an interesting story just this week actually about how uh, What's the, the real shift in immigration has been on the Democratic side, looking at polling data, Democrats have gotten much, much more favorable uh, to lenient immigration policies and Republicans have basically stayed the same. And that's where I think I understand holding fast to HR2. It's not realistic. Democrats are not coming back to the table on HR2. Uh, but I do think there's an unreasonableness. Um, I don't think, I, I don't believe that there's going to be a policy put forward. And I could be wrong because we are told according to Politico that asylum is on the table. Um, so I could be wrong and they could have, you know, some really substantive changes to asylum policy there. Um, but that's what I just haven't seen a will to do. And that's, to me, it's not even a partisan thing. Uh, to me, it's just our assigned policies are, are so inhumane because they give so many people false hope. Uh, they're really good for the cartels. And like they just, whether you think they should be way more um, liberal or way more restrictive, what they really need to be is clear. And I don't think either side has the ability to come to a consensus on clarity about asylum. And unless we have clarity about asylum, we can have all the razor wire. Texas can put all the razor wire that it wants up. 
uh, more people are still going to be hurt. More people are going to cross. Um, uh, the, the only interesting thing I'll add is Todd Bensman, who's been on the show before, reported at the New York Post that uh, he had a source uh, who shared numbers with him showing that crossings have dipped significantly um, in the last couple of weeks. And uh, the theory is that uh, Biden has struck a deal with AMLO and with Mexico. Um, according to Todd's sources, there's been a lot more enforcement within Mexico. They've really bulked up their enforcement. Um, and the, the idea is that that's a Biden year sort of deal for election purposes. If that's true, and if Mexico is uh, enforcing their own policies and is being more careful about, for example, the train that has basically been very loosely uh, policed, the trains that come up carrying migrants, that's that's good uh, because you know, people need to stop taking these awful trips to the Darien Gaps where they're dying, where people are being raped in mass. It's just horrific. Um, I don't. I don't know, Ryan. I don't know like, the. I think what we need is clarity, and I don't think we're going to get any clarity. So I'm pretty cynical on that. Yeah, cynicism on this issue sounds about right at this at this point, definitely from a political uh, perspective. Um, before we bring uh, Sagar back for a very exciting <laughs> debate over Barbie and, and the Oscars, a clarification slash possible correction, we'll see. So... Um, Earlier in the show, I had said uh, that we that we would know um, by tonight or tomorrow, uh, you know, a lot of who, who these uh, remaining write-in votes are are for. Jenk uh, Uger told uh, uh, Crystal apparently that he's now being told that they are not going to release uh, these numbers. There was pressure, you know, from Democratic Majority for Israel, a super PAC, um, on the Secret New Hampshire Secretary of State not to release the number of people who voted. Uh, who wrote in uh, ceasefire. The the word from the New Hampshire Secretary of State, however, uh, earlier this week was that they would be releasing these figures. The organizers behind that campaign believe that the law requires them to, to release this, but it, it feels like it is at this point an open question. Good reason to um, stick around and, and check the show out tomorrow morning. Uh, but uh, without any further ado, we've got to get to Sagar's thoughts on Barbie. Stick around for that. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. 
Okay, at the same time, uh, the actual election analysis that everybody has been waiting for, the Oscars election, we got the official nominations yesterday, and there is absolute outrage that uh, Barbie, uh, the major, I get blockbuster, you know, event of the last year, one of the biggest movies in a long time with some original script, although we'll, we'll get to that um, in terms of discussion around IP and more. While it did get a lot of Academy Award nominations, Greta Gerwig, the director, and Margot Robbie, who was both producer um, and really kind of like the person who got the movie off the ground as well as the lead actress, did not receive nominations. So, but they did get a lot of others, and let's put that up there on the screen. Thanks to our graphics team for putting this together. Oscar nominations. So Barbie has been nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress. I want to return to that one for America Ferreira. Best Supporting Actor, Ryan Gosling. Best Adapted <laughs> Screenplay, Original Song, or uh, two original songs, actually. Uh, costume Design and Production Design. Okay, uh, this, like I said, has caused absolute outrage from a lot of people online, including one of the stars of the movie, Ryan Gosling, who is very upset that he was nominated for an, uh, Best Supporting Actor, but then Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig were uh, spurned. Let's go put this, his statement. This is what he has to say up here. He says, I am extremely honored to be nominated by my colleagues along such remarkable artists, et cetera, et cetera. But there is no Ken without Barbie. There is no Barbie movie without Greta Gerwig or Margot Robbie, the two people most responsible for this history-making, globally celebrated film. No recognition would be possible for anyone on the film without their talent, their grit, and their genius. To say that I am disappointed that they are not nominated in their respective categories would be an understatement. Against all the odds, with nothing but a couple of soulless, scantily clad, and thoughtfully, thankfully crotchless dolls, they made us laugh, they broke our hearts, they pushed the culture, and they made history. Their work should be recognized along with the other very deserving nominees. Man, it's almost like he's talking about the freaking Nobel Prize or something, like whatever, <laughs> not the Oscars. Emily, I, I desperately wanted to talk about this with you. Uh, this is being described as a feminist snub. It's a major snub of uh, Greta Gerwig. And uh, they're like, oh my gosh, what if what if a man is the only person to actually win a, <laughs> the only person to actually win an Oscar out of the Barbie movie? Some people have said that would be objectively hilarious. But I, I wanna, I'm curious for your take um, and then Ryan and I will give ours. <laughs> well, thank you for letting the ladies go first. Yes, the ladies go first. You know. It's very gentlemanly of your chivalry, not yeah. dead. Uh, <laughs> but so there's a lot to make of this, and I'm glad that we're talking about it because, as you know, one of the, I think Sagar and I are probably on the same page about all of the, the virtues or the the lack of virtues of contemporary feminism, mm -hmm. um, and even so. I actually really enjoyed the Barbie movie. I wrote a piece about it for the Federalist saying that it was it was in a way uh, reminiscent, and I don't think intentionally, I think this was probably its biggest flaw. It was reminiscent of the sort of Camille Paglia take on sex and gender, this sort of biological essentialism. Men and women are different, and that's what most of the jokes in Barbie are going for. Now, that said, uh, that's a really low bar for good culture is recognizing the differences between men and women and making jokes about it. So mm -hmm. I think the script was a little incoherent, but I thought Greta Gerwig did a good job. I think she did a best director level job and I thought Margot Robbie was fantastic. So I don't wanna steal your point, but we very much agree. It's not so much uh, no woman was nominated because yes. America Ferreira got the supporting nod. Uh, it really should have been 
Margot Robbie. And I think Greta Gerwig deserved to be up there. They had her for costume. Well, they have Barbie for costume production and best picture. So there's a lot of Greta Gerwig, obviously, that goes into all of those things. In a way, she's very much nominated, just not in the director category. Uh, and I actually think that's what Barbie was great at. I thought the design, uh, the aesthetically, it actually was really innovative and interesting, even if the script didn't match that level of quality. And even if, and this is a good way to toss it back to you, Sagar, some of the acting and some of the writing in I'm specifically talking about the part written for America Ferrera is absolutely insufferable yes. in Barbie. <laughs> right. And that 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 is where I'm getting really annoyed here. Because people are like, oh, it was a snub, you know, all the women are getting I'm like, guys, America Ferrera got nominated. The scandal is that America Ferrera is the worst part of the movie. Ryan, you and I were talking about this. She's the one who gives the annoying speech about how difficult it is to be a, a mom or whatever. And everyone, it's just like the most <laughs> eye-rolling part. I was in the most liberal of all theaters, and even there, people were like, come on. Like, Went a little again, long. We, there were some really funny points in that speech, right. but it was Look, a little bit. I had a good time. I enjoyed the yeah. movie. And I think largely it was because it was a social experience and I was around a lot of other people who were having, a, you know, people were dressed up and people were laughing. It's kind of like going to the Taylor Swift movie. Is it a good movie? Obviously no. But, you know, when you see like nine-year-olds like having the time of their lives, you cannot help but imbibe like some of the, some of that joy right onto yourself. So I think that was part of my experience as a movie. Like, let's You liked the it movie was, because it was about Ken. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I, I liked it because it was about uh, using TRT in order to get get the best physique possible. But my, my point He's is just looking right that, into the sun every morning right? in Barbie <laughs> Yeah, so actually, Ken is living the health lifestyle that I want to live. Um, but let's belie all that. And let's just actually think about this. First of all, what people many un- misunderstand about the categories is that for Best Picture, all members of the Academy get to vote on Best Picture. For the director category, it's all the directors who are in the Academy. It's not everybody else. So it's not a surprise then that they elevate like, you know, like auteur movies, like genuine cinema. And if we're going to put it on that category, this is the other thing. Barbie made $1.4 billion. It's not like you don't need the best director stamp, Greta Gerwig. You're fine. But let's also look at some of her past movies. Lady Bird is a way better movie. It's actually a very good movie. Little Women, even. Actually, Sleeper. I actually thought it was a good movie, once again. And it's one of those where people don't pay attention to the fact that the Academy is not meant to just, you know, rubber stamp blockbusters. People, you know, first of all, the Oscars don't even matter. So, like, to a certain point, this is all irrelevant. But in terms of this trying to be a cultural touchstone and all that, we do not look at Iron Man and be like, man, this is the best film ever made. We're like, yeah, that movie made a ton of money. Yeah, it was good. It was, you know, fun. And then we all just move on with our lives. And we're not like, oh my God, what a scandal, you know, that it wasn't nominated or whatever. And then if we're going to think in the best director category, and Ryan, this is where I'm curious for what you think. To me, if we're going to look at, you know, achievement and all that, what is more impressive? You're going to get the most, one of the most internationally recognized IPs, turn it into a good script. Definitely difficult. Or you're going to adapt, frankly, not a very good book, which is American Prometheus, the actual biography of J. Robert Oppenheimer, turn it into a three-hour biopic, and let's be honest, where it drags a lot in the middle, and turn it into a nearly billion-dollar blockbuster that people dress up for and turn into an event movie. That's also historically important. That is a 10 times more impressive achievement achievement to me. Barbie would have been a hit even if it was bad. It just happened to be good. Oppenheimer, I mean... I think only Nolan could have done something like that. Ryan, what do you think? To me, the Oscars ought to take into consideration how difficult it is uh, to move from your concept to, like, a a great film. Like, Dustin Hoffman, like, getting an Oscar for Rain Man. Like, not that impressive. Like, he's just, like... He's, it's a great performance, right. but it was also like signed, sealed, and delivered for an Oscar. Like Good he's one. just he's just going for it. Mm-hmm. Whereas they took a re- 
ridiculous premise. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to like just take a commercial uh, about uh, like kids toys right. and, tur and turn it into a film mm -hmm. and try to make a whole bunch of money on it. And then she somehow managed to make an actually tremendous film. Now, right. So I think that she got snubbed because of the mm. giant gap between those two things. But now, what if she gets Best Picture? Best Picture is still an achievement, good, guys. Good for her. Margot Robbie is a freaking producer on the movie. So is Greta Gerwig. You got, by the way, the movie made $1.4 billion. Yeah, she'll be These okay. people are going to be just fine. But one reason yeah. I'm okay with her getting snubbed, yeah. though, is because she really flopped the landing with mm. this like reification of uh, neoliberalism at the very end with this, <laughs> you, are, you are Knuff. Oh, like, yeah. Nobody, nobody's Knuff. <laughs> you, need, you need community. You need socialization. You need friends. You need family, like you need loved ones around you. Nobody is enough. And the idea that you would try to tell a whole bunch of kids that they don't need anything other than themselves, I thought was just a like horrific message at the end. So uh, my politics say, you know what, she can go ahead and right. suffer and and not get the uh, oh, what, best director. Okay, thing. and then okay, let me put, put let's push the red button. Uh, Ken is dead. <laughs> Ryan Gosling does deliver the most range of acting in the movie. I mean, yeah, he's the best uh, supporting character, but he's the one who's like events are happening to him. And then he has, he is the one most profoundly changed by his interaction with the real world coming back. And then him, you know, versus Barbie, the Barbies fight back. By the way, spoiler alert for all of this for everybody who has not uh, yet seen the <laughs> film, but it's been several months. So I'm, I don't feel bad about it. And then, you know, you know, they reach the equilibrium or whatever. Margot Robbie is like the vehicle through which Ken has this like deeply emotional journey and all the other Kens within it. Sure. You you know, she definitely delivers a great performance and it's fun, like, don't get me wrong. But that's why, if, if you were to think just purely in terms of acting chops, not in terms of culture and all that, I think Gosling definitely did uh, do a better job as an actor, or at least brought more to the role. That doesn't belie the production. The fact that Margot Robbie, what is, I think she called Greta Gerwig. She's the one who got this script, you know, script greenlit. She, you know, helped with all that. And that's why- She'll when share you in that win, Oscar, right, for the she script. Will, yeah. She will share, you know, in that Oscar for the best picture and all that. So anyway, what do you think, Emily? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, mm. I, would, <laughs> I would add to that. It's not just that Ryan Gosling, uh, it, it's that the, the role, this is to the point Ryan was making about Rain Man, uh, the role for Ryan Gosling was always going to be harder um, for him. Like it was just the way the script was written, uh, the way that it turned out, it's just that was a harder role to play and he did a great job. So while I think Margot Robbie did a great job, I just think Gosling did a great job in a harder role. And on top of that, I was thinking as we were talking how funny it must have been when the Academy got the nominations back and looked at this and was like, holy right. shit. Right. Right. <laughs> they were like, oh no. Like they, yeah. you could, again, like this stuff is, is engineered to a point, uh, but it's still voted on. And you just imagine them getting this back and looking at the Barbie nominations and realizing it was just Gosling right. for, uh, I mean, that's actually, and, and Gerwig it's, got snubbed. Yeah. They okay. were probably you want to know the real scandal? Is that Maestro got nominated for Best Picture. What the hell are we doing here? All right, like, <laughs> we all, like that is that movie is a travesty. It's what happens when somebody gets way too famous, <laughs> Bradley Cooper, and then people start writing way too big checks, and we're all just like, oh my gosh, what a not tour film. That, that's an, a, a good, that's a garbage. Good example of a kind of movie that's just made for Oscars. No, literally, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it was made for that, and also for Bradley Cooper's ego. And we're like, hey man, can you do like Silver Linings Playbook again? Just like something that was actually good and hasn't been for a long time. All right, so I think this brings our uh, discussion on on the whole Oscars, you know, what brouhaha to a close. It will not stop. You know, can we imagine like the acceptance speeches are going to be so insufferable? 
if if Ryan Gosling wins, cringing. the amount of like Greta, this run is really yours, or some grandstanding and all that. If this is what happens before, just he's imagine the win. night of. Uh, you don't think he's gonna win? Here, I don't see. think he'll win. For who else is uh, who I, else is nominated? So we've got. And, and listen. Yeah, go ahead. Well, the Gerwig stuff is interesting in the extent that the Academy has also been trying to bring those like quality blockbusters back in. So like maybe not nominating like the dumbest Marvel movie or whatever, but also, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are some good Marvel movies, obviously. Like Black Panther was competitive at the Oscars, but they're saying we, we were swinging way too far in the direction. Like remember when they gave the artist best picture or when someone reminded me yesterday when Trump went berserk because Parasite won. Uh, you just had that hilarious <laughs> about it. It's they've been trying to actually reward movies that people are watching and enjoying. And so that's part of what's interesting about this too. Uh, at the same time, there, Gosling's up against a lot of good performances this year, and I don't think he's quite going to cut it. I could be wrong. It could All be right, wrong. So I'm not here's what I got in front of me. Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction. I haven't seen American Fiction. Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon. He was incredible in Killers of the Flower Moon. Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. That's tough. I thought he'd give a good performance, but honestly, I thought his entire arc of the film is bad. So it's like, yeah, but this, that part of the script for me drags tremendously. Uh, we've got But they're going to love Oppenheimer this year. The What's Academy's going to love Oppenheimer. The, the Academy's going to love Oppenheimer. I agree. Yeah. Ryan Gosling for Barbie, and then Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. Haven't seen Poor Things. Our producer, Griffin, says it's an incredible, incredible movie. It's on my list. I'm definitely going to go and watch it before uh, the Oscar season. Anyway, I think that uh, brings us to a close. Guys, thank you for letting me uh, hang out and crash your show. Always welcome. It was fun. Um, I I hope everybody enjoyed it. We've got the discount going on if you can help support all of us. And uh, I, I look forward to doing this again soon. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.